Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Let's begin with phase one. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Friday, June 12, 2020. Headlines on uh, my Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered. This story, we've been talking about it all day. Uh, lounging amid the looting, and it's a photograph of a Chicago police officer sleeping on a couch in Bobby Rush's office. And there's a bag of popcorn there on the table and, as well. And there's a bag of popcorn on the table as well. Uh, only in Chicago, I suppose. What a city I live in. I chose to live here. I could have lived anywhere in the country. And I said, nope, I'm going to move to Chicago and double down by staying here. Uh, as we do with all bonus guests, I ask our distinguished guests to introduce themselves. So distinguished bonus guest, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Delmarie Cobb, and I am a political and media consultant here in Chicago for now a million years. <laughs> That's correct. Delmarie Cobb, and she's a regular on the Ben Jarofsky Show. It's been too long since you've been here uh, last, uh, Delmarie, uh, so I blame it on myself. And a forewarning, Delmarie, you may uh, occasionally hear the brown line every uh, few minutes yes. or so. Yes, we're doing our oh, show okay. from my attic overlooking the alley and right next to the train tracks. Uh, well, so, I understand that. I went to uh, I went to uh, St. James Elementary School, which is right next to the train tracks, uh, and we had to stop every few minutes yeah. <laughs> in class. Uh, well, I've 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 lived in this house since 1985, so I'm so used to the train. I don't even hear it anymore. But since I started doing the show from the attic, I've become aware of it. You know, oh my God, gotta, uh, the train's going by. All right, uh, Del Marie, let's just. There's so much to talk about politically speaking. I cannot let. I'm going to have to ask you about uh, Popcorn Gate, the Chicago police officers crashing at Bobby Rush's. I've thought I've seen it all, Del Marie, but we'll get to that. Um, but uh, let's talk about. Um, what was it like? Just give folks a little uh, story about what's going on in your life. What was it like last week? Uh, you live on the near south side, and there was some unrest in your area. Uh, so what was sort of the situation in your neighborhood? Yeah, I actually was surprised. I didn't go to the store um, to until Sunday. It was like Sunday afternoon, about 2. And I went riding to the store nonchalant because nothing had happened the day before. and. I noticed that the parking lot was empty to the Jewel grocery store. and um, But I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, okay. And I walk up to the store, and the guy I see is blocked. And I walk to the other door, and he says, uh, we'll be open tomorrow. We're closed. I said, tomorrow? What do you mean you're closed? And he says, we're closed. We'll be open in the morning. I said, okay. I said, have you been looted? 
no, we're trying not to get looted. I'm like, okay. So then I am on my way out to, uh, out of the parking lot, and it's just back-to-back traffic, and I see all these young people coming over to the uh, shopping center. So I decided I was going to try to look just to see what was going on, and in fact, if it was being looted. And um, I could barely get out of the out of the uh, uh, parking lot, and I went to try to find another grocery store. And everywhere I went, there were these large city trucks blocking the way. <laughs> so I finally just turned around and came back home, and then said, "Okay, I've got three eggs, I've got three cans of tuna, and I've got three or four skinless, boneless chicken breasts." <laughs> So I don't have to worry about what I'm going to eat this week. <laughs> I already know. <laughs> but I was just praying that my food didn't run out before a grocery store opened. And finally, uh, Friday, the following Friday, I was able to get to the grocery store. So a week ago today. Wow, three cans of tuna. I'm not a fan <laughs> of tuna. So if I had looked at three cans of tuna, I'd be like, oh, man. Uh, well, I'm glad that... Uh, you personally escaped uh, any harm. Uh, and... Oh, no, we were fine. I mean, for the most part, we were fine. Uh, we were ground zero for a couple of uh, protests. I was in one of the marches um, that the, all the elected officials and ministers had that came down from 26th to 51st in King Drive. And then the next day, there was another protest that went the uh, down to the um, uh, police headquarters. And so I, I was ground zero for a couple, couple of those, but they were both peaceful. All right. Now uh, let's uh, let's talk about this moment in time, and how uh, how deep this really is. Uh, I think I mentioned this to you in the phone. We chatted before. Uh, it was yesterday, I guess. That in some ways, I have. I hate to sound hopeful because I'm by nature. Uh, I'm so used to covering Chicago politics. I'm so used to losing um, <laughs> uh, on progressive issues that I've believe in. But it, Delmarie, at the risk of sounding naive, I feel as though I'm seeing things and hearing things I never would imagine hearing or seeing in my lifetime. For instance, NASCAR saying that the Confederate flag will no longer be welcomed at its events. You know, at NASCAR races. People would always be flying flags. Um, to hear uh, talk of of renaming military bases that have been named for Confederate soldiers or Confederate generals, I, I just I just remember the resistance, the fight it took to get South Carolina to take the flag, this conf, the, the the Confederate flag off their state capital. Mm-hmm. You know just white people in general, that the things that are coming out of the mouths of ordinary white people about Black Lives Matter. As an old guy, this is, it's caught me off guard. What's your reaction (laughs) to all this? Do you you think this is a transformational time? Well, I think it can be a transformational time. And I think if we continue to talk and if we uh, address the, all the systemic issues that exist, which is structural racism. I mean, just yesterday, a study came out, or earlier this week, a study came out that says black people make a make one cent, one penny for every dollar, or in terms of wealth, have uh, are worth one penny for every dollar white people are worth. And until we address 
those kinds of problems mean, as far as I'm concerned, the things that we're talking about, even though they're extraordinary on one hand, they're also low-hanging fruit. And so these are the things I can do and say to make me feel good, but how much are they going to change people's lives? And that's what we have to do, change the trajectory of people's lives in this country. And that's what we haven't done. Every time black people take one step forward, things are taken from us. I mean, you know, affirmative action was dismantled. I mean, the idea that Trump is going to have a rally on Juneteenth in Tulsa. Tulsa, the home of Black Wall Street, where a white mob killed and burned it down because they could not stand the idea that black people were successful. We have seen that over and over and over again. And so until we see those kinds of changes, yes, I'm hopeful because I've always been hopeful. I mean, that's why you're activists. That's why you're progressive. That's why you protest. But nothing ever happens that is absolutely transformational. I, uh, I'm thinking on a local scene. Let's start with the local before we go national. Uh, to me, to your point, when I, start, I heard you uh, talking about the difference uh, in the incomes, when I think about the way money is distributed in Chicago, and you know where I'm going with this, I've been talking about this for years, the overwhelming amount of economic development dollars, TIF dollars, goes to gentrifying white neighborhoods overwhelming this is money that's supposed to help struggling neighborhoods and somehow or other these decisions Delmarie have always been divorced from the kinds of talk of racial injustice do you follow what I'm saying like real practical oh, absolutely. cutting up the pie do you think that's going to change in Chicago or do you think it's all just going to be swept under the rug well that's what has to change I mean uh, 17th Ward Alderman David Moore held a news conference this week um, because he asked uh, Walgreens and Walmart, which were looted in his community, if they would hire black contractors and vendors to help clean up and restore and reopen their stores. And he was walking around and, or driving around, and he saw this one truck outside the Walgreens. And it said Trinidad on the on the truck. And he was like, okay, I'm not familiar with that company. Uh, so he called Walgreens and he says, you know, I'm not familiar with that company, Trinidad. What can you tell me about them? And they were like, oh, they're a Latino company. And he, and he almost popped a gasket. Because, again, white people think all minorities are the same. <laughs> so you ask for black, we got Latinos. What's the problem? <laughs> and until those kinds of things are addressed, there is a problem. Although we're, we, we're, we're all, I mean, we're all fighting each other at the bottom of the barrel. Uh, and, that's, and it's designed that way to make sure those at the top continue to prosper. But the bottom line is we have different stories. We didn't come over here because we were looking for a better life. We came over, we were brought over here to help other people have a better life. Um, wow, what a story. You caught me off guard with that. I did not know that one. Uh, I hadn't seen that. I didn't see that in the newspaper. Yeah, they, they, they just brought in some uh, Latino uh, contractor. Well, that should, that should satisfy you, David Moore. Um, exactly. 
All right, let's talk about uh, Lori Lightfoot's response and the police's response to uh, the unrest of the last week and the disturbances. Uh, on this show, we pretty much have a wide range of opinion, everything left, I would say, but there are, Lori Lightfoot has her defenders on this show and she has her critics. Stacey Davis-Gates comes on a lot, Troy LaRavier comes on a lot. Then we'll get like Lori Glenn who defends uh, Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> so it's, uh, she has her defenders and her critics on this show. How do you uh, rate uh, the city's response to what went down last week? Well, it's it's just hard. I mean, it was just so much going on. It's really hard to say. I mean, but as I meant, talked about my story and trying to find a grocery store and running into one city truck after the other that was blocking the, the path, um, what else did you think was going to happen? If you block access to downtown, and 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 I can tell you, just for me, so I'm going down King Drive, I can't get past 26th Street. So then I go over to Michigan, I can't get past 22nd Street. Then I go over to State, I can't get past 22nd Street. I go over to Clark, I can't get past 22nd Street. I go to Canal, and then I finally come home. So, yes, what's going to happen is people are going to stay in their own neighborhoods, and they're going to continue the protest, and then they're going to continue the looting in their own neighborhoods. So you had to know that that was what was going to happen. Do you think it was And a- so I understand that you say I didn't do it at the expense of, of downtown, but you know, it's the result. And I'm not saying she did it on purpose, and I'm, you know, I'm saying it's the result. And so if in fact you were going to block access to anything past McCormick Place, north of McCormick Place, then you had to come up with a strategy to make sure anything south of McCormick Place was protected. When I take a look at what happened, and I'm trying to make rhyme or reason uh, uh, of a dumbery, I'm not sure there was an overall strategy. And no. uh, there know, wasn't. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, we, we had Troy LaRavier come on the show, the president of the Chicago Principals Association. Until he came on the show, I didn't know this. But he was arrested at Trump Tower. Mm. He spent about, yeah, I urge everybody who hasn't heard the, the interview to listen to it. Uh, he was arrested. He was one of the protesters crossing the Wabash Bridge uh, that uh, t- heading toward Trump Tower. And there was just a huge crew of cops blocking access to Trump Tower. And it just seemed to me so much energy was uh, dedicated right there. So much manpower was dedicated right there to protect Trump Tower. (laughs) And I'm like, what do you guys care about Trump Tower? Now, as a political strategist, maybe you could, you you might point out, Ben, if if people attack Trump Tower, that would make Chicago look bad. I don't know. I wouldn't advance the argument. I mean, could you concoct an argument for dedicating so much manpower to defending Trump Tower? I can't think of one right now. Can you? No, I I mean, obviously the thinking was, well, people will use it as a symbol. And so it will wind up being a symbol, and so people are going to descend on it, and, you know, no telling what might happen. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, um, mean, that's the only thing I can think of for protecting Trump Tower. Otherwise, why? Why would why did you just pick that location and that little narrow area to protect when you know there's the rest of the city and 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 you know the south side has so little to begin with 
you know, I sit between two grocery stores where my home is. So Jewel is two blocks to the north, and Mariano's is two blocks to the south, and Walgreens is right there by Jewel. These stores have been there since 1960. Mariano's is fairly new. They were closed. They were closed for a week. They just opened yesterday. So the people who are struggling, the older people who can't, who don't have the resources that I do to get in a car and try to find a place to get food, I mean, who, who have medication, those people, did you think about them? Well put, Delmarie. Um all right, uh, let's, uh, oh, I, I just saw this picture. I have to ask you, I cannot let this moment, I was about to transition into uh, <laughs> national politics, but I have to ask you your thoughts uh, about what went down at Bobby Rush's office at uh, 54th Street. And I know you've been following this, you're a political junkie. Right. Uh, police right. officers using it as sort of as like the rest spot uh, for several hours, like 13 or 14 of them uh, camped out eating popcorn making coffee, helping themselves uh, just, uh, what was this, on June 1st, in the, uh, after some of the heavy, uh, uh, some looting that took place on May 31st. What's your general reaction to this story? <laughs> well, Bobby Rush actually is my neighbor, and he was my first congressional candidate. Uh, so, and uh, one of the things we did when we held his first his news conference to announce his candidacy for Congress was to make sure he looked like a congressman. And so, because he had been a Black Panther, and even though he had been an alderman, we you know so we put him in a pinstripe suit and a tie, and and in fact, Michael Sneed, it didn't go unnoticed. She wrote it in her columns the next day, you know, from Black Panther to pinstripe suit. So of all the offices <laughs> you could think to do that in, you picked a former Black Panther and you thought that no one would find out? I mean, these are police officers. They didn't see a camera anywhere? What kind of police officers are they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not observant ones. Well, they, uh, the, the head of the Fraternal Order of Police, I want to point this out, uh, he, is, he told the Sun-Times that uh, the police officers had permission, were invited uh, by a staffer to Bobby Rush. And they didn't go back to Sun-Times, didn't go back to Bobby Rush and ask him for his opinion. I am really waiting to hear Bobby Rush on that one. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, to see if there's absolutely anything remotely resembling validity to the assertion that someone from Bobby Rush's office invited the police officers to make this the resting ground. I've not heard well, of it. Well, I, I thought I read that he said, why would I do that when there's a police office in that same mall just down, just a few feet from his office? Oh, I missed that quote from him. I didn't see yeah. that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, he's like, why would I do that when they could have gone to their own place? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, by the way, the irony, it, let me just go uh, one step further. Bobby Rush ran for mayor in 1999, I want to say, against mm -hmm. Richard M. Daley. And uh, the police at that time were really upset at Daley. Many police were upset at Daley about the contract. They're, the city mm -hmm. is habitually delays uh, signing the police contract, let it expire. You know this this game that's played, Marie. Two or three mm -hmm. years transpire, and then there's a big retro pay. Uh, and I remember having some conversations with many uh, police officers. Well, why don't you, they're mad at Daly? Go, why don't you uh, vote for Bobby Rush? 
you, you got a choice, you know. And what are you nuts? He, right. He was the Black Panther. These guys were so young, Delmarie. They 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 didn't know anything about Black Panthers. The the guys I'd be talking to. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like they were around right. in 1968 or 69. Right. So, no, and people don't know. I mean, I I tell my candidates that all the time. That every five years you're dealing with a brand new electorate. Because people, if you're if you're 20 today, and you're voting for president, mm-hmm. you were 15 five years ago. Probably weren't paying any attention. So every five years, you're voting. You've got a new electorate that you have to educate, and people and people don't understand that. Um, and so, um, you know, I remember him running, and and because I never voted for Daly once, and I'm sure you didn't either. Um, he. Um, Everything he talked about at that time, I never will forget. Everything he talked about at that time wound up coming true. And the media, uh, the media, you know, didn't take him seriously at all. And it was so funny because so I had one reporter ask me one day, well, name one thing he talked about that came true. I said, the hired truck scandal. (laughs) I said, that was the first one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I voted for Bobby Rush. I voted for him. Uh, I voted for Reverend Jakes in 2003. You and me both. (laughs) Somebody told me, well, I said, well, I would vote for Boo Boo the Fool before I voted for Daly. And they, so they, they named somebody and they said, I said, I told you I would vote for Boo Boo the Fool. I don't give a damn who the person is. I was never going to vote for Daly. But, but I have a confession to make, Delmarie. Don't hold this against me. I voted for Daly in 84 for state's attorney over Richard Brezat. Oh. <laughs> okay, I just got to put that out there. I'm making a f- <laughs> confession to you. Right. I'm sure- well, I'm, I may have for state's attorney. <laughs> that's, okay. before, that's before I knew about John Burge, which is why I could never vote for him for mayor. Yeah. And in, and in retrospect, you know, Brezak, I mean, when you compare, I mean, we're really in ancient history here, but if you... Compare Brezak to Daly and how they treated Burge. You can make an argument that Brezak was less of an enabler. You can make that <laughs> argument, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, either mm-hmm. either way, I'm not proud of the vote. <laughs> but I just had to do true confessions. Uh, you know, but that's a prime example of people not connecting the dots. And that's what, what's really what's wrong with our electorate, um, especially in the black community of not co- connecting the dots because even though I, I realized so many people didn't vote and the more daily was in, the fewer people voted. Yeah. And I understand that. But the bottom line is he should have never gotten in because, you know, we need to, we need to connect the dots. And the same way with Rahm Emanuel, we need to connect the dots. And have you noticed that I haven't seen a whole lot of him on uh, ABC News? Who, since, R- Rahm Emanuel? Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Since George Floyd. Yeah. What do you think? Spell it out. What do you think is going spell, <laughs> spell it out, Delmarie. What, what, what are you saying without saying Well, it? I think we're just a little too close to the Laquan McDonald incident mm-hmm. to have him on the air being an expert on police reform. Yep. I, I, I tell you, I mean, I've watched this from afar and now we're in, we're doing Chicago history, but Del Marie, the resistance that this city has had to changing the ways 
that police officers police in the black community is astounding because one of the first, I mean, there was the, the killing of Fred Hampton and Mark Clark, mm-hmm. uh, which was Chicago police officers under the command of Edward Hanrahan. They lied about it, right? They lied about mm-hmm. uh, it, took lawsuits, investigations by young reporters to bring out the lies. Uh, and the black community revolted and ousted Hanrahan. You, you, you remember this history, 1972. Right, right. Then what happens two years later? This one's astounding. Ralph Metcalf, congressman uh, from the South Side, first congressional district, perhaps the most prominent black uh, politician in the city of Chicago, longtime ally of Richard J. Daley, finally has enough, says, I can't take any more police brutality. And uh, something must be done about it. What does Daly do? He punish him, punishes him by running Erwin France against him. <laughs> it's just the lengths to which the powers that be in this city, going up to Rom with Laquamic, burying Laquam McDonald tape, Delmarie didn't want to deal with this issue. Oh, let me tell you this right quick. I'm looking out the window as I'm talking to you. There's a protest. And the police are uh, leading it. <laughs> so I'm looking at protesters walking by my office. Wow. So we have been ground zero, as I keep as I, as I said earlier. It, um... No, I agree. I mean, and that happens all the time. I mean, when you look at that, that is the formula. I mean, just like people forget that Harold Washington ran in 1977. And he got 40,000 votes when he ran and it wasn't, I mean, and why do we have to get so fed up before we do what we should be doing anyway, before we get fed up? All right, let's, uh, before I move on to Chicago, there's one last thing I have to uh, get your response to. We had a lot of fun with this. Uh, I've never heard the uh, unfiltered exchanges between Alderman and Mayor. Uh, Alderman Raymond Lopez uh, from the 15th Ward, and I'm sure you heard this, and uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot going at it. You ever heard anything like that before? The F-bomb flying, people swearing at each other? uh, What was your reaction when you heard that? Well, I've never heard it before, uh, but I do know that it happens, and we know that that's what Rahm Emanuel did to Karen Lewis when he said, you know, F you, Karen Lewis. And as I asked her, so what did you say? And she said, well, you can bet it didn't go unanswered. (laughs) So, (laughs) So we do know that, you know, those kinds of conversations happen, and I can tell you i've had some of those similar conversations with my uh, my elected official clients um but i you know i i'm i'm divided on this issue to some degree because where was the same moxie demonstrated against rom emmanuel and and uh richard daly I mean, where, where, when did these people start having a backbone? Because it's a woman? Because it's a black woman? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just divided on this to some degree. Because I know I don't care who the person is. If I'm going to talk like that, I'm going to talk like that. Uh, you know, if they talk to me like that. But I'm seeing people who I never saw them with a backbone. 
and suddenly they've grown a backbone. And I'm not saying Lopez is that necessarily, because he's he. This is just his second term. But I know people who've been out been here for a while, and they just I mean they couldn't get any deeper if they had wanted to. <laughs> and I'm not going to finish that. <laughs> Fill in the blank. Yes. Uh, but now. They're like, oh, they're the voice of reason, and they're conscious of they're the conscience of the city council, and and I'm like, this is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, and I have, I think I know who you're saying it about. But we'll move on without making you say it. Um, right. <laughs> all right. Let's talk national politics. It's been a while. Let's see. Uh, Joe, since the last time you did the show, uh, you've been on the show, Joe Biden is the official nominee. Uh, mm-hmm. the, it's got the, 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 delegate the delegates he needs. And uh, so he's up in the polls. Uh, how are you view, viewing this election right now, presidential? Well, I just, I wrote a column not long ago uh, asking Biden, I was giving him my unsolicited advice <laughs> that um, he just needs to be a wise president not a wise guy and that's what America needs at this point I mean the contrast between the man who's in office right now which is a mockery of the presidential of of US presidency anybody (laughs) could contrast themselves against this man we do not need to be to copy him I mean, if you think he's macho because his, his people like him macho, you know, he doesn't wear a mask and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. If you think that, that appeals to them, then let it appeal to them. They're not going to vote for you anyway. Yeah. So you don't have to lower yourself to his level to get their vote. You just be above the fray, act presidential, and be the wise person we know you are with, you know, decades of experience that you can bring to this office. That's what we need at this point. We need to put ourselves back on the world stage with some dignity, because right now we're a joke. Uh, and are you, the last time you were on the show, we had a, a conversation about the, actually the last the few times you've been on the show, uh, talking about voter suppression, that the Republicans uh, those are some of the tactics they'll employ in black community to try to limit the black vote. How how effective do you think the Republicans will be uh, in this area coming forward as we head into uh, the election? Oh, they're gonna. I mean, they're gonna try everything they can. I think the one thing they can't try that they're so good at that you know I've talked about so much is in terms of the negative advertising uh, that that works in terms of getting people to be apathetic and not vote at all because then they think, oh, well, they're all the same, nothing changes. Um, I don't think that's going to work this time. This time, I think they're going to have to really rely on foreign interference and all the tricks they can think of to um, try to suppress the vote through the actual electoral process. And I think, or the election process, and I think that's what they're going to do. I mean, I think that's what we saw in Georgia. Yeah, yeah, that's you're absolutely correct. We, yeah, we talked about that. Uh, there's two tactics that the Republicans employ when it comes to the black vote. Uh, one is just out and out suppression, and the other is a feeding a sense of hopelessness or nihilism. Like 
nothing matters, so why even bother? I think that was very effective against Hillary Clinton, by the way, in 2016. Oh, it was. Yeah. It was, it was, that was very effective as well as the foreign uh, interference. Because, you know, some of the things that came up for Hillary, I was like, why didn't this come up in 2008? That why is this so prominent in 2016? And it just didn't seem like, you know, it just didn't make sense to me. And, um, and then, of course, when all of it came out, uh, I believed it right away that there was foreign interference because of what I had seen along the way, just the issues that were suddenly be- are coming to the forefront. And um, so when they actually verified it, it was like, yeah, I mean, obviously, because a lot of these young people didn't even know these issues. I mean, I remember a young woman I was talking to. She's in her 20s. She had a master's degree. So, you know, she she was all that in the bag, bag of chips. Uh, and, and so she's going to, you know, challenge me um, about Hillary Clinton and uh, not voting for the lesser of two evils and all of that. And 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 I and and so she thought she was going to shut me down just by saying mass incarceration. So I was supposed to shut up. So she said that. And I said, you do realize, you know, let me give you a little history. Um, you do realize that the majority of the black caucus during that time voted for Clinton's crime bill. And she went on and kept talking. And I said, excuse me, excuse me, I need you to stop for a minute and answer that question. You do realize that, right? And she's like, no, I didn't know that. I said, you do realize that Bernie Sanders voted for the crime bill, right? And she's like, no, I didn't know that. I said, and you do realize that the majority of black people wanted Clinton to pass that crime bill because he was going to put 100,000 police officers on the street, and and the times were so very different then than they are now. I said, now we have become desensitized to the crime. But back then, when they were throwing little boys off of the 11th floor at the projects and and Girl X and those kinds of things that were happening in our neighborhoods that we had never seen that because of crack cocaine. I said, black people were like, do whatever you need to do to bring peace to our communities. I said, so you have to understand the environment at that time. Mm-hmm. So she didn't know any of that, of course. So, but the fact that all of those things became front and center in the campaign in 2016, I just thought was very strange, and and now we know why. Mm. Well, by the and way, and I think you know we're going to see that again. Uh, it, you lead me right into this question. Uh, this is another topic we've talked a lot about this week, uh, and that is the 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 defund the police movement. I have, I have to admit, Delmarie, and again, I'm speaking as an old guy. Uh, I've never experienced anything remotely like that uh, in the city of Chicago. 2015, mm-hmm. the quote-unquote progressive candidate for mayor, who I voted for, I must confess, Chewy Garcia against Rahm Emanuel. Uh, so one did of, I. One of his, <laughs> one of his first uh, planks on his platform was to hire a 1,000 more cops. Mm-hmm. And here we are five years later, and there's a growing movement to quote-unquote defund the police. Uh, mm-hmm. So what's your thoughts about the defund the police movement? Well, you know, I mean, and, and I know you know, um, it's understanding it. And I was talking to some somebody approached me about it. Do you believe this? And I do believe 
it if you understand what they're asking. They're, you know, they're not saying defund the police. What they're really saying is refund social problems that need to be addressed, that haven't been addressed. Because you're putting $2 billion into the police of a of, a, of an $11 billion budget. That's a major portion of the budget. And we all know that budgets help tell people what your priorities are. So what you decide to fund and how much tells the world what you value. So these young people are saying, let's value life. Let's value education. Let's value some of the social ills that, that are plaguing our communities and put less value on the police. And the police want that too, to some degree. They don't want to be nursemaids. They don't want to be social workers. They don't want to be uh, uh, breaking up uh, domestic violence. Uh, they want to be used for what they were trained to be used for, and that is to serve and protect. I mean, we know the bad apples, but I'm talking about what their mission is, what their job is. And so we shouldn't be calling them for those things because we see, one, they can't address them. It, it escalates. They kill people unnecessarily who are clearly mentally ill. I mean, that's why Betty Jones died uh, and, and, and Quintanio uh, Laguir because he was clearly having an episode and they sent a cop who is fairly new on the force to by himself to try to address an issue that he's not qualified to address. Yeah. So that's what these young people are saying. Um, uh, I like that. Uh, we all, one of the things, first things that Troy LaRavier said, he goes, yeah, you're going to work on the, uh, on your messaging, uh, refund instead of defund, refund, refund Chicago. I'm going to think about that one. Refund. Um, that's what he said. No, he did. He, you said oh. refund. And I was like, instead right. of defund refund, I was like, he, he he didn't have a solution. He was like, mm -hmm. I, I mean, he's obviously like you. Uh, he he thinks that he, everything you just said, he agrees with wholeheartedly. You know, it's mm -hmm. like we, instead of having police deal uh, with d domestic disputes, you should have I don't know counselors deal with it. People who are trained. Right. Uh, peacemakers, you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, and he completely agrees with you at that point. He just, uh, he didn't like the messaging of uh, mm -hmm. def defund the police. That's been a discussion on this show. In fact, I haven't found anybody, <laughs> maybe it says who comes on my show, but uh, most of the people come on my show are like, yeah, we got to work on that messaging. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, now let's talk about running mates. Joe Biden's got to pick a running mate. Yeah. Uh, who do you want him to pick? Well, I see he's narrowed it down. I just read something that he's narrowed it down to six people. And uh, so he's talking Elizabeth Warren, I believe, Susan Rice, Val Deming, um, uh, Luhan Grisham, mm -hmm. is that her name, from, um, uh, who's um, Latina. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Kamala. Oh, of course, Kamala Harris. Yeah. And um, but uh, Stacey Abrams is not on the list. So he's he's narrowed it down. They say to six serious candidates is what the article said today. Mm. And um, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens. 
so we've got one white woman, we've got one Latina, mm-hmm. and then four African Americans. Do you? Have oh, a f- and the and the mayor of um, the mayor of uh, Atlanta. Okay, yeah, boy, she's really mm-hmm. uh, made a name for mm-hmm. herself lately. Uh, do you have a, per- a personal favorite on that list? No, if I were to narrow it down, it would be so. If I would narrow that list down, mm-hmm. it would be. And this is in no certain order. <laughs> Elizabeth Warren, Val Deming, the mayor of Atlanta, Bottoms, and um, uh, and and uh, what is it? Is she the mayor of New Mexico? Oh my goodness! So you don't even have Kamala Harris on your narrow down list, or Susan Rice? Yeah. I never thought Susan Rice was the little... Here's the thing that, I, that I've... Reading between the lines, obviously I don't talk to Joe Biden on a regular basis or ever, but I see his <laughs> quotes. And so what he's concerned of, concerned about is, you know, he, he's whatever he is, 77 years old, 78 years old. Mm-hmm. So, so he's got right. that John McCain, Sarah Palin concern. And you remember, you know what I'm talking about. Right. When you have an mm-hmm. older candidate, a uh, presidential candidate, you want a, a running mate that people would trust to be the president. It's just like a cycle. Right. And so he's concerned about that. Uh, right. And um, so that's why I was like. So that's why they were saying Susan Rice because of her foreign policy experience. Um, they were saying Kamala Harris because she's uh, the only one who's won statewide office. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's why they're being considered. They, uh, Elizabeth Warren is being considered. Of course, she's 70, and so they brought that up, uh, the age of the two of them and then both being white. But, but the other good thing is that, you know, she's, she's an idea machine. Yeah. You know, she's a public policy maker in her mind. And she's really creative and that would bring a sense of energy to him, to his presidency that maybe is not there right now. Well, I have to, when you said Elizabeth Warren, something popped into my head. I haven't shared this with you. Uh, I was, um, Elizabeth Warren, I, I forget what it was that she said that triggered Trump. And he went on one of his tirades calling mm-hmm. her Pocahontas. Uh, mm-hmm. And when I read it, it just fell so flat. It seemed so desperate. And this was a sharp contrast to the reaction that many Democrats had back a year ago when it just seemed the Democrats were a little more, uh, they were afraid of Trump's rhetoric. And so much right. has happened since the pandemic uh, and since uh, the death of George Floyd. In many ways, it's just sort of transformed this race, Del Marie. And, you know, I just felt it with myself. It's like, Nobody cares about you calling names about uh, Elizabeth Warren. No one cares about what Elizabeth Warren said or did 15, 20 years ago regarding Native American heritage. Do you follow what I'm saying? It just, oh, I agree with you. No, I history. agree with you. Yeah. It's, it's so petty now. I mean, I mean, so much has happened that that is so petty now and so juvenile yeah. that no, I mean, he's clearly arrested development. I mean, clearly he has not grown up. He's not an adult man. Uh, and by every measure. And so I think people see that 
and they want some they want somebody with gravitas and she certainly has it and i think the other thing is she was able to demonstrate that she's quick on her feet yeah. during the debate when she went off on bloomberg i mean you know she was like bang 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 yeah. bang i mean he he was like what hit me <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, she decimated bloomberg uh, now, what's your uh, feeling about the importance of having a black woman uh, on the ticket? Uh, you're ahead of a group called Ida's Legacy, which is all about promoting uh, the political careers of black women. And you um, have been outspoken on this front. So how important right. is it to you to have a black woman on the ticket? Well, you know, uh, it's, I certainly would like it. I'm not going to say I wouldn't. I, I would be thrilled um, because... That, that may be the only way we're going to get a black woman that close to the to the presidency for a long time. If we can't get a white woman, you know, we can't get a black woman. <laughs> so it may be the only way we can get there. So I would love that. Uh, I had someone younger who, you know, who said to me at one point, asked me, uh, well, what about if we do that and then, you know, we don't get anything else because we've got that. And I said, first of all, why there's why should there be an either or? We should not settle for an either or. We should settle for and both. I mean, Clinton had nine black people in his cabinet. He did not settle for either or. We shouldn't settle for either or. I want a black uh, vice presidential woman candidate. I want a black Supreme Court nominee, woman nominee. <laughs> you know, I want black people in the cabinet. I want black people everywhere <laughs> in terms of decision making. So, no, this I mean, I, I want to see all of it. Yeah, I, I don't think. And again, when I talked at the outset about the changes that I've seen in the last few, I don't think uh, just putting a, a black woman on the ticket will just end this political movement that I see, Delmarie. No. I think we've mm -hmm. turned a corner. Uh, and uh, I give the younger generation, as an old guy, I give them a lot of credit. Uh, we, I was talking about this today, earlier with Romana saying at the Sun-Times, we were talking about how younger journalists are so much more outspoken than my generation, definitely. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and Monroe Anderson, I know a good friend of yours, was on the show earlier this week, and he was talking about this, the, uh, just the out-out racism that he encountered when he was a young man at the Tribune. And, and just he doesn't think it would be tolerated uh, this day and age. So I think we've, I think we're beyond. I, I think that if you put uh, like Kamala Harris or Val Deming on the ticket, that's that's not the end of it, you know. And he, by the way, he promised no. that his first appointee, I believe, he said, uh, would be a black woman on the Supreme Court. Just uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that's when he got my vote is when he said that because I've been fighting that for, for thirty years almost. Um, I have I, I I wrote black newspapers because Barack Obama didn't do it. Uh, I thought if we can't get that with a black president, mm -hmm. will we ever get that? Hillary actually said that if she had, you know, become president, that was going to be the first thing she did, uh, which is again why she didn't get elected yeah. uh, because you know the the. the, the Polls show that 20% of those people who made up their minds the last two weeks of the election uh, chose Trump because of thinking she would make the Supreme Court too liberal. Well, I didn't see that poll. By the way, the, the poll that I saw that was most encouraging, uh, and uh, I found this one astounding, 
it's particularly coming out of 2016. Follow me in this one. And it wasn't very scientific. The, the man who did the poll uh, admitted it wasn't very scientific. But this, they had done some <laughs> surveys of people at uh, the, the protests over the last week. And the survey showed that the overwhelming number of people surveyed said they were voting for Biden. Mm-hmm. And these are protesters in the streets. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that caught me off guard is because I'm so used to so many of my listeners, so many of the people in my life are lefties. And they were the people who could not bring themselves to vote for Hillary Clinton. And they are definitely not happy with Joe Biden, Delmarie. I can mm-hmm. tell you that right now. And right. I just feel there's an attitude at this right now, even among hardcore lefties, that, you know what? Top of the list, we got to get this guy out of the White House. And then we'll deal with what comes after that. But No, I agree. And that's, you know, and that's... That's the attitude we should always have is that, you know, let's get the best person who's closest to our values in the White House. And even if they don't match everything that we believe in and stand for and want, we can push them. Mm -hmm. We'll push them to that. Uh, And that's what we have to do. I mean, I always talk about Roland Burr said to me, um, when I was doing his campaign for governor and he said, if you can, if you can agree with the candidate on seven of 10 issues, you can find common ground for the other three. And that made sense to me. And I always joke and say that Danny Davis says, um, if two people agree 100% of the time, one of them is not necessary. (laughs) Danny, (laughs) that's pretty clever. (laughs) <laughs> Danny Davis said that. Um, so I, I'm not looking for a mirror of me. Yeah. I'm, I'm just looking for someone close to me, close to my values. I'll figure out the rest of it. All right, Delmarie Cobb, we're going to end it there. But uh, I would like you to tell people where they can uh, get follow your newsletters, your e, uh, your columns. I enjoy them very much. Uh, you're a well, very effective you. column writer, uh, and I appreciate it. I get them as a regular email. Uh, if other people, you know, they listen, they want to uh, read what you have to say, uh, be it on uh, the, uh, advice to Joe Biden or the policing issue here in the city <laughs> of Chicago, you wrote an excellent column a couple of weeks ago about the whole history of police brutality. How can they get on your mailing list or uh, how can they read these columns? Well, the best way is to go to idaslegacy.com, which is uh, the website for the Ida B. Wells Legacy Committee, and and to go to the Ida's Legacy Facebook page. So if you go to those two places, those two sites, you can then subscribe and add your name, and then I'll add you to the e-blast list. And, and also you'll see my columns because we post them on both the, the website and the Facebook page. Well, I urge all our, my listeners to do that because it's good stuff, powerful stuff from Delmarie Cobb. Delmarie, thank you so much for coming on. Stay safe, all right? And thank you, Ben. All right, that's a great Delmarie Cobb. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everyone.